Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. Welcome to our summer Bible study. This summer, we're going to be studying the Gospel of John. And we only have eight weeks together, so there's no way we could meaningfully cover the entire book of John. Instead, we're going to be looking at a very particular aspect of John's Gospel. They're known as the I Am Statements. These statements, which occur throughout the Gospel of John, are powerful statements of Jesus' identity, which are rooted in the imagery of the Old Testament. This week, however, I want to take some time to provide some context for what we're going to be studying as a whole. Even though we won't be looking at all of John's Gospel, it's still a good idea to get an overview of John as a whole. I'd really encourage everyone as we're doing the study to try and read through the whole Gospel in parallel to the study. Getting a general understanding of the whole will help us better understand the parts we'll be looking at more closely. It will help us to understand what John wrote about Jesus and why he wrote it. So what do we need to know about John's gospel before we begin? First, a little background. The gospel of John was written by John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. John was one of the 12 disciples closest to Jesus and an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. The testimony of the early church on this point is unanimous. There's no doubt that John wrote it. John likely wrote his gospel in Ephesus somewhere between 80 and 98 AD before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. John's gospel was the last to be written and came a few decades after the first three. John is also the only gospel writer to directly state his purpose for writing. In John 20, 30-31, John writes this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote so that his readers might believe in Jesus and have life in him. Essentially, John wrote to tell people how they might enter eternal life, which is found only in Jesus. The focus of John is Jesus as God. Matthew presented Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Jews who would bring forth the kingdom of God. Mark emphasized him as the suffering servant king who would rescue people from the sin and death. Luke, the only Gentile to write a gospel, portrayed Jesus as the savior and healer of the world who would bring the Gentiles into God's covenant blessing. All of these are true of Jesus, and each of these themes communicates the good news of Jesus. For John, though, Jesus was the word of God made flesh who came to show us the Father and invite us into eternal life in him. One of the most important things to understand about John's gospel is that it is very different. John is unique among the four gospels and not just in its theme. Do any of you have a friend who sees the world a little bit differently? Someone who, if you ask something about what you both did, might give an entirely different account of what happened? When my middle son William was little, maybe three, he and I got to spend a day alone together. So we went to the park. We went hiking and we looked in the stream. We played on the playground for hours. It was a blast. And then we got home and the first thing he said to my wife was, Mommy, we went to McDonald's. And we did. And we experienced the same day together. But his focus was vastly different than mine. What he remembered was different than mine. We were both incredibly excited about the day, but the focus of our joy was so different. That is the Gospel of John. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John boldly and creatively proclaims the good news of Jesus. But the story John tells and the way he tells it is vastly different. John relates moments of Jesus' life and ministry that are found in no other Gospel and omits content that the others all contain. 
John contains none of Jesus' parables. He doesn't say a word about Jesus' birth or his baptism, his temptation or transfiguration. He even skips the Last Supper. It's not only John's content that's unique. John's writing style is also different. It's a paradox. The Gospel of John is written in the simplest Greek prose. When you learn Biblical Greek, you start with John because his writing and his vocabulary are so basic. The Gospel of John is like the Biblical version of an I Can Read book from Dr. Seuss. Yet at the same time, John contains the richest and most complex theological insights and imagery of all the Gospel accounts. A popular saying of scholars about John is that the Gospel of John is a pool in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. In seminary, I took a course on the Gospel of John, and we almost got to chapter 3 by the end of the semester. And in every class, we covered something new. The writing was so simple, but the imagery and theological depth were inexhaustible. John reveals the simple and humble nature of Jesus, making him entirely approachable and accessible. But he also confronts us with the mystery and majesty of the living Word of God, the Logos, who is one with the Father. Jesus is the God who became flesh and tented with us, or tabernacled among us. In John, we find the joy of a simple story to which we can return over and over, only to find that it is inexhaustible in all that it has to show us about God. Interestingly, John quotes from the Old Testament far less than any of the other Gospel writers, but he references the Old Testament through the imagery of his language far more than any of the other Gospels. The problem for us as modern readers is that we do not make these connections nearly as easily as John's original audience would have. This is simply the result of the fact that we live in a time and in a culture that is far removed from John's. As a result of living in a different culture, we can easily miss the imagery that, God, that John uses simply from a lack of familiarity. I experienced a little bit of this in 2017 when I visited our church partners at YFC Rwanda and had the privilege to spend a few days teaching their leadership team. On multiple occasions, I found myself using idioms as simple as, we need to level the playing field, only to be met with looks of utter confusion. My audience simply wasn't familiar with the imagery I was using, so the point was lost on them. Luckily, it wasn't that hard to connect them to the images and the ideas behind the idioms, so they were able to get the point. And this is the case with the I am statements we'll be studying in John. John recounts moments in Jesus' life where his words and analogies evoke powerful images and ideas from the Old Testament. And these are images that we will not immediately be familiar with, but John's audience would have been instantly familiar with. The I am statements that John uses are directly connected to this central purpose of establishing Jesus as God in the flesh, the God who has come to give us life. John does this in a very Hebrew way, through imagery. In Greek, the everyday statement, I am, can be communicated with the simple verb, emi. In John's gospel, Jesus makes a number of statements in which John adds the explicit pronoun, ego. Grammatically, this is unnecessary. Thematically, it's essential. By stating I am in such an explicit and unusual manner, John would have caught the attention of his original audience. It would have stood out to them. For the Jewish reader, John's intent would have been both evident and startling. In using the structure ego emi, John was drawing attention to Jesus' true identity. For in the Old Testament, the divine name Yahweh translates I am. The most explicit and radical I am statement in John is found in chapter 8. 
Jesus is engaged in conflict with the Pharisees. This has become a regular thing by this time in John's narrative. Jesus' ministry has become increasingly disturbing to the Pharisees, and it threatens the religious leaders of his day. It's not recorded, but I'm pretty sure when the Pharisees heard about Jesus walking on the water, their response would have been, what, Jesus can't swim? The things that Jesus was doing and the things that he was saying cut against the religious traditions of the day and threatened the power base of those in charge. The tension between Jesus and the Pharisees was escalating by the day. In John 8, the tensions boil over into full-blown hostility as the Pharisees accused Jesus of being possessed by a demon and not being sent from the Father. To this, Jesus replied, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus' statement before Abraham was, I am, is grammatically awkward, but this is deliberate. Jesus is making a tremendous theological claim, I am Yahweh. This would have shocked his audience in ways that are difficult for a modern reader to even comprehend. But when we see the Pharisees pick up stones to throw at him, we can see the magnitude of what Jesus said from their response. Jesus' words are so over the top that the Pharisees attempt to execute him for blasphemy right on the spot. There can be no doubt from Jesus' words or from the Pharisees' response that he was claiming to be the great I Am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. John's message is clear. The author of life has come to give us life, life that only he can give. While John 8.58 is the most direct and radical claim that Jesus makes, John uses I am statements throughout his gospel to prove that Jesus is indeed the one true God who can save us. And as we'll see throughout this study, Jesus would use the phrase I am, ego a me, to proclaim many different things. I am the bread of life in John 6. I am the light of the world in John 8. I am the good shepherd in John 10. I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. I am the vine in John 15. I am he in John 8. Each of these statements is meant to connect us to some aspects of God's goodness through the imagery of the Old Testament. So as we study these passages over the next few weeks, I hope that you'll see God in new and deeper ways and that you'll experience his love in ways that you never have before.